You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Lord, I thank you for your presence here in this place. Lord, we love you so much. God, I declare that there is nothing like you. There is no one that compares to you. You stand alone in beauty, in power, in glory, and we give you our full attention. Lord, make yourself real and known to every person in this place. Let every person experience your love and your presence today. Jesus, you are the living word. I ask that you would speak to us through your word today, that your word would prune us, your word would convict us and transform us to become more like you. Well, we give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A couple weeks ago, I I shared a message. I want to continue today, part two today. I shared a message called Weapons of Our Warfare. Weapons of Our Warfare. And we're going to continue in that vein this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 3. And it says this. I'm going to kind of combine a couple different translations as I read just so that we clarify as we go. This is review for those of you who are here. If you were not here, you can always go back and watch on YouTube or our podcast. And it says, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh or though we live in the world... We do not war according to the flesh, or we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, or they are not of this world, they are not earthly, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, just as a reminder, in case you didn't know, we are in a battle. Jesus won the war. Can we get an amen for that? Amen. Jesus won the war through his death on the cross, through his bloodshed, through his resurrection, that he is alive today. He conquered sin, death, hell, the grave. He defeated sickness. He defeated poverty. He defeated addiction. He defeated fear. He defeated it all. He is victorious. He is the victorious king above all. This is our Jesus. And he rules and reigns above it all. When Jesus was about to ascend into heaven after dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And under that authority, he commissioned his disciples, his apostles, and he's still commissioning us today to go out under his authority, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to see people's lives transformed through his word and through his love. And we have an amazing opportunity to continue to partner with him. And our hearts as pastors and leaders is to equip you in walking in Jesus and like Jesus, to share your faith, to share your truth that Jesus has given you, and to to live like Jesus in every area of your life. 
to equip you to live like him. And if we're not careful, if we don't realize, we can easily go through life and go into cruise control and become familiar with our surroundings and lose sight and become distracted that we are still in a battle. Though Jesus has won the war, we still have an enemy, and we still have an enemy waging war against the souls of mankind. We still have an enemy waging war against our soul. And there, there is a battle that is taking place. And we talked about uh, last time I shared on this two weeks ago that the battle and the, the weapons that we fight with are not against people. Your enemy is not your next door neighbor. Your enemy is not your family member. Your enemy is not your boss at work. Your enemy is not people around you that think differently than you, that disagree with you, that believe differently than you. They are not your enemy. It's important to remember these things, especially when the wonderful things like holidays are happening and you like to gather with people in your life and you might have struggles with talking about certain subjects and topics and things just love to get brought up this time of year. Your enemy is not people. Okay, and we talked about how in Ephesians chapter 6 it says we have an enemy and it's principalities and powers of darkness. That there are demons, there's the devil, we have an enemy. And there are principalities waging war, battling against us constantly to, to in a sense, promote agendas of fear, agendas of hate, lies uh, uh, to attack the truth of God's word, to attack the truth of who Jesus is. There's principalities and powers to try to promote all kinds of division and all these different things in our society and in the church as well. And if we're not careful, we just again become numb. And a lot of churches, a lot of pastors don't even want to say the name demon in church. That like they don't exist, but no, they are real. Now I I, I hold, wholeheartedly believe that our focus is to be on the Lord and that we aren't to be looking for a demon on every rock. Okay? If you begin to look for demons more than Jesus, you will begin to have a problem in your life. Okay? But we aren't gonna be ignorant. As the Bible says, don't be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Like he's a schemer. And so it's important for us to realize that God doesn't leave us powerless. He doesn't leave us weaponless. That he actually gives us mighty weapons of warfare. Mighty weapons. And the, the majority of where the battle takes place in and through our own personal lives is in our minds. When, this, when I read this scripture in 2 Corinthians, it talks about pulling down of strongholds, taking thoughts captive. It's talking about the battle in your mind. See, when you, when you come to Christ and you, you give him your life and you surrender everything to him and say, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm no longer going to follow my own way and do my own thing. I'm going to follow you. All of a sudden, you become brand new on the inside. You become a brand new creation in Christ. All the old things, that old record of sin is washed away. You're forgiven. You're brand new in him. And he gives you the mind of Christ. Now you begin a journey in salvation, a journey in relationship with Jesus of learning how to think like him. And there's all these strongholds of wrong thinking of the past that must be torn down. This is why the Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That there is this transformation that God takes us in and through where we begin to think like him. And in order to do so, we must be willing to pull down strongholds of thinking in our lives that will allow us to walk in that freedom and to walk in his mind. 
And God gives us these weapons. And so I shared a, uh, the first three with you a couple weeks ago. For review's sake, the first one is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is your number one weapon because within this weapon of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it reveals to us all the rest of our weapons. It reveals all of the rest of them to us. So the Word of God is a, a sharp, double-edged sword. Not literally, okay, this doesn't look like a sword, but it is. It actually can, in a sense, identify your motives and your thoughts. It, it, it can separate between those things, and it, it is to bring transformation into your soul and into your life. If you don't know God's word and you don't know truth, how are you going to recognize a lie that the father of lies, the devil, brings to you? If you can't recognize a lie, then all of a sudden you'll begin to believe that lie. And now the enemy is going to continue to attack you, oppress you, bring you down, depress you, discourage you. Bring you into bondage and temptation. So that knowing of, of truth is so essential and so important. It's also important in the Learning of truth and then allowing God's word to come into your life and you're, you're reading it, you're meditating on it, you're memorizing it, you're applying it to your life that you remember and don't ever lose sight that this isn't a book that the person of the Holy Spirit wrote this through men and that Jesus is the living word. So when I read the scripture, I want to connect with the person of God, not just read words on a page. Number two weapon that we talked about is the name of Jesus Christ. There is a reason that his name is above every other name. And there's a reason that his name is used even as a swear word in the world. They don't use the, the name Buddha, Allah, Muhammad, some Hindu God. They, they don't use that. Why? Because there's only one name that actually carries authority and power. And it's Jesus' name. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but these different weapons that... Uh, that, that God gives us are often so attacked by the enemy that they, the enemy wants to pervert them. He wants to twist them. He wants to attack them, to bring them down to, to, so that our, the effectiveness that they would have for us is, is minimal in our lives because we, we don't value them the way that we should. Jesus commissioned his disciples to go preach the gospel, and he says, in my name, you lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. You're in my name, you'll cast out demons. It's not in our name. There's nothing powerful in our own names by ourselves. It's when we walk under the authority of Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth and we walk in his authority using his name because then his name has all power. It's not a magical formula. It's not to be used flippantly or lightly, but there's real power in the name of Jesus. The, the third one that we talked about a couple weeks ago was communion, and we partook of communion together then, and we talked about why communion is so powerful and that the devil hates it. It's, it's because it reminds him he lost, and it reminds us that Jesus won. It reminds us of the cross, of what Jesus accomplished for us, and we're able to come into this wonderful place of, of 
fellowship and in a sense relational connection with the Lord, this place of safety and refuge with Jesus. No matter what's going on around us, the Bible says in Psalms 23, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that there's this place of communion with God, even in the midst of turmoil and chaos, that I can come and be with him and I'm sheltered, I'm protected under his, the covering of his blood and I'm able to remind myself and remind the devil and that the devil lost and remind myself of God's victory and remind myself again of the promises of God. You see, it's, it's usually in that place of circumstances that are difficult and challenging, that tr- those trials and testings, or in that place of waiting to, to see what God has promised to be fulfilled is where we can easily begin to re- believe lies of doubt, of unbelief. We begin to easily become complacent and settle for things that, the, that God paid for. And begin to accept things that aren't real and aren't true. And so it's so important to always keep sight of the cross of what Jesus accomplished there. Number four is forgiveness. The fourth weapon I want to talk to you about is forgiveness. And I'm not going to get into this much because my wonderful brother, Pastor Aaron, preached on forgiveness last Sunday. I didn't even, didn't even know he was going to do that. He just did it. I'm like, hey, the Lord is speaking clearly because we're on the same page here. But this is one point of, of my many. This was his one point, praise God. So all of these could be a sermon or a series of themselves. So I would really encourage you to go back and listen to his message last week if you weren't here especially or if you were to remind yourself. But forgiveness is so huge. You see, forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is not an option. See, Jesus along with all of the wonderful other commands he gives us to to love our neighbor, to love the Lord, to do all these other wonderful things, to go and preach the gospel, he also tells us to forgive. And to forgive like he forgives. Not forgive of our own interpretation and our own uh, thinking of what we believe forgiveness looks like or sounds like or, or is, but to actually forgive the way he forgives. It's, it's a very important and valuable and essential truth for our lives. Forgiveness keeps us free. Forgiveness allows us to continue to grow. It protects our heart from the enemy, from being able to build strongholds in us. I can't tell you how many times, the majority of the time of helping someone be free from strongholds of their mind, from, from bondage of their past, bondage of, of, in sin, the majority, almost every single time, there is a, a, a factor of forgiveness that must be addressed. There is someone that that person needs to forgive in their life. And they have been, they have been held captive. They think that they're holding the other person captive because of what they've done to them and the injustice that happened to them. And so therefore they will hold a grudge. They will have uh, unforgiveness and bitterness towards that person and they won't forgive them. And really they put themselves in captivity. And so forgiveness keeps you free from staying out of that place that when hurt comes, because hurt is real, you can't always avoid hurt. In fact, if you try to avoid hurt, you're actually not living in love and faith because when you actually do life with real people, you're going to get hurt. It's just going to happen. So what do you do with it? What do you do with an offense? What do you do with hurt? How do you process through that? Well, God gives us this beautiful weapon of forgiveness to be like him where Jesus is 
the, receiving the most injustice ever imaginable. He was without sin. He was perfect. He was innocent. And yet he died a criminal's death. He became sin for us. Nailed to a tree, he became a curse. And in all of that moment of pain and agony, physically and spiritually, he said, Father, forgive them. I'm not just paying the price, Father, so that you can forgive them when they receive you, but I want them to know my heart in this moment, and my heart is for their forgiveness even before they ask. Jesus ties this powerful truth of forgiveness with the gospel. This is a, this is a crazy scripture. I Personally, I still am like, Lord, you need to help me understand the scripture, but it's there. It's true. I'm going to believe it. And even if I don't fully understand it, I'm going to share it. So here you go. John chapter 20. Jesus appears to his disciples. He's just been raised from the dead. He shows up walking through a door, or not even walking through a door, walking through the wall and scares them. And he says to them, peace be with you. As the, so here, here's the commissioning right here. Okay, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me into the world to destroy, destroy the works of darkness, as the Father has sent me into the world to advance the kingdom of God, I'm sending you. And it says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And we usually stop there because it's wonderful. But then the next part, the next sentence, and it, it's still in quotations. He, he's still talking here. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I, again, don't fully understand all that is, Jesus is trying to get across here, but I do understand this part. Forgiveness was tied in with the preaching of the gospel, the, the commissioning of the, the saints to be like Jesus, and with the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, it sounds pretty important to me. I've deduced that. There must be an extreme value to it that Jesus would tie it in with those two really important things. Go be like me and preach the gospel and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So forgiveness is important. And it's a weapon that we, we keep ourselves clean. We keep ourselves free. We keep ourselves able to grow in the Lord. If you feel like you're in the same place you have been for the last year or the last couple of years in the Lord, maybe it's a good opportunity to go before him and search your heart and say, Jesus, show me anyone I need to forgive. Number five, praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit. Yes, we're talking about speaking in tongues. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Before I begin to read verse 17, this whole context of this passage, Paul is exhorting the church of Ephesus to put on the full armor of God. And he's going, and, and in this passage, he's also talking about what we talked about earlier, that there's an enemy, and he wants He's attacking your life, so put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. And then Paul transitions in talking about our weapons. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then it doesn't end there. A lot of times we end there. But there's this and word, which, you know, I know that the Bible was originally written in Greek, translated into English, but 
That and is the idea of connecting of two thoughts. Okay? So it's continuing here. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So we see here that praying in the Spirit is closely tied to and connected to our weapons. Maybe it is one. Perhaps it is one. Why, again, would something be so attacked by the demonic realm? Why would something be so attacked by darkness? Maybe because they actually know the power in it and behind it. Why would there be so much lies taught even by supposed Christians and men of God? Why would there be so much taught against it and attacking it, saying that it's no longer for today, saying that it's of the devil? So many lies. I can't tell you how many strongholds of religion and lies, demonic lies about this topic, have to be torn down in a person's mind. They're afraid to receive God himself and a gift that he has for them because of lies they heard growing up in church. Again, we talked about this two weeks ago. If the devil used the Bible to tempt Jesus, the living word of God, what makes us think he wouldn't try to use the Bible to tempt us or to to twist something to cause us to get bound into a lie? What does praying in tongues do for you? Why is it, how is it a weapon for you? Well, in Jude, verse 20, there's no chapters in Jude, there's just one chapter. So this is verse 20 of Jude. It says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We see here that the keeping of ourselves in God's love has something to do with praying in the Spirit. That praying in the Spirit builds you up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. It actually builds up your spirit, man. It helps you to be spiritually in tune, spiritually aware. It helps you to beginning, it helps you to think in, in God's mind. Praying in the Spirit allows you to be more receptive to hear his voice. All powerful, wonderful things that if we dis- discount, if we d- dismiss, if we disregard, we miss out on. We invite ourselves into a life of trying to struggle instead of a life that can be built up simply by tapping into a gift that the Holy Spirit has made available to us. Again, this topic is huge and vast. And there's a lot there. And you might have hundreds of thoughts coming through your mind right now. The enemy really hates when we talk about this. So I'm not surprised for one second that many of you are like debating what I'm saying. You're coming with an argument against it in your mind right now. You're you're, you're thinking of scriptures or books you've read or, you know, different things right now just to try to tear down what is being said. It's real. And, and even maybe your own experience is a case you, you've used to try to come against this. 
well, I haven't received tongues yet. And so now you've created a case through your experience. Or you believe lies about yourself because you haven't received it. Well, it's just not for me. Or I'm, I guess I, I'm just not worthy or good enough. Or None of us are. I would encourage you to not allow lies, to not allow fear, to not allow religious false teaching to stop you from continuing to pursue in faith what Jesus makes available for all of us. It's not for a select elect few. And I'm talking about praying in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, is different, okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, my father is a good father and he will not withhold any gift that someone would ask for. He would not withhold the Holy Spirit from, for, from anyone that would ask of it, ask of him. So when you ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe wholeheartedly through what scripture shows us that you receive the Holy Spirit immediately. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit immediately. The, your prayer language, speaking in tongues, can, can sometimes come later, but we don't believe it has to or that it is supposed to, but that it can, and it's okay. Many of our elders, many of our pastors here prayed for months to receive the, the, their prayer language, and then it came all of a sudden. So what, my, what is the point of that, of me sharing that? Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't allow lies and doubt and fear come in. Tear down those strongholds and keep asking. Keep contending. And it's okay if you say, Lord, if, is there any unforgiveness in my heart? Is there any lies that I've believed about this that are a hindrance to me receiving this? It's okay. But don't allow lies of shame, of condemnation, of guilt to bring you down and make you feel lesser than than someone, other, someone else. Because that's not from the Lord. Praise God. I got several more points. Number six, thankfulness. Thankfulness. Thankfulness isn't something that we are to, to do or practice or celebrate one time a year, this time a year, Thanksgiving. It is meant to be a, a posture and, and position of our lives daily, by moment by moment. There's a wonderful couple in this church, and I'm, I won't mention their names so that they, they don't... Um, they're not embarrassed or they, get, they don't get frustrated with me. But they are a beautiful couple that loves Jesus so wonderfully. And they have experienced a trial recently through an injury, through work. And w I went over there to visit them. And w I went over with, uh, with Nathaniel and we went to pray and, and just to be with them. And I couldn't tell you how many times they mentioned how thankful they were to God. In the midst of a very severe and challenging moment. That wasn't going to just probably go away like that. It was going to, there was going to be weeks of trial in this circumstance. And they were so grateful to God. I was blown away. I was like, when I grow up, I want to be like you. <laughs> Thankfulness shifts so much in our hearts. Thankfulness shifts so much in our minds and our perspectives. Thankfulness is this wonderful place of remembrance of God. It isn't just positive thinking. 
That's garbage. It isn't just trying to find like something positive. No, it's an actual place of gratefulness and worship unto God for who he is, what he's doing, and what he's done. And it keeps you out of a place of discouragement. It keeps you free from complaining. It keeps you free from pride because you recognize your source for all things. And so you recognize even the things that are good that are going on in your life, they're not because of you. And so it keeps you thankful to God at all times. It's so easy when, we, when things are going good that we stop being thankful because we either think somehow we made it happen or we just realize things are so good and we just become numb to it. But I'm telling you, we should never lose our thankfulness. We should never get out of that practice of remembrance and thankfulness before the Lord. We here at the Promise Church, we desire above all else to be a people of his presence, to walk in the presence and power of God, to, to be a place where God's tangible, manifest presence stays. Well, God gives us this wonderful instruction of how to even enter into his presence, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So if thanksgiving is a way that we begin to come into the presence of the Lord, I'm pretty sure it's a way to stay there too. Remembering what he has done keeps us thankful. It keeps us in a place of faith, believing and knowing and trusting that God can do it again. Just as Ben was up here exhorting us at the end of worship, talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Testimony, and inside of it, of his presence, there was these things that God had done. He wrote on stone Ten Commandments. He produced bread in the middle of the the desert, the driest place. <laughs> he, he caused a dead stick to bud. It was to be a place of remembrance of what God can do and that he can do it again. Psalms 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. And what does it say? Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who has redeemed your life. Forget not. That is a command. <laughs> not an option. Forget not. Same as to forgive. Same as to love. Forget not. Why? Why is it so important to remember? Because when we begin to forget what God has done, we either begin to think that we've done it or we just lose sight of him and begin to drift, wander slowly apart, our heart begins to now turn to other things. Our heart begins to drift away from God, and that drifting actually is what causes us to be vulnerable to the enemy, to give into a temptation, to fall prey in, into the, the world's systems and thinking and its agendas that it's promoting. When we drift away, that remembrance keeps everything fresh. 
That remembrance keeps a gratefulness in our hearts that even if we go through a difficult time or even if we're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, we don't lose sight of who God is and what he's done. Psalm 77, verse 11. It's a great passage here. It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. So powerful, so amazing, so needed for us to remember what God has done. Psalm 78, 11 talks about what the nation of Israel did instead. Verse 11 says, they forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. In Psalm 78, it talks about all the miracles that God did for the nation of Israel in taking them out of Egypt that journey from Egypt in the wilderness to the promised land. It begins to remember those moments, but it says that the people of Israel forgot. And that is why they believed a lie of unbelief that those giants in the land were going to take them out. And that caused an entire generation to be lost. A generation had seen so many miracles that even within a short amount of time, a few days of being delivered out of Egypt, they forgot. I truly believe when we forget, it's because we're not grateful. We're not thankful. Stewarding thankfulness is so huge. You, You need to steward the testimonies of what God has done in your life. Go back to, to remember the blessings of the Lord, maybe even before you were born, the family that God placed you in, remembering the blessings of the Lord, even before you came to know him. I, I bet you many of you can go back and look at your life, even before Christ, and identify blessings of God, identify moments that God, his hand was on your life. He spared you. He, he blessed you. He, he revealed himself to you. He helped draw you to himself. And all of a sudden, one day, you you surrendered everything to him and you received him as Lord and Savior. Remember that day. Remember that day you gave your heart to the Lord and you, you encountered him and you received him. Remember those moments that you've been alone with him and he's transformed your life and, and he's, he's revealed his word to you. He's, you felt his presence. You, you heard his voice. Remember the miracles that he's done, the provisions, the healing of your body, the, the, the saving of your loved one. Remember these testimonies. I, I know that we could, we could use hours of time just to go across this room right now and to point at different ones of you and say, I know what God has done. I remember what God has done in your life and for you to share. But often when we are living our lives in the moment, we can easily forget those moments, especially when we're faced with a difficult moment. But I would encourage you to steward those testimonies. All of a sudden you're faced with a a trial. You're faced with a difficult situation. Lies are coming against you. Go back at those testimonies and say, okay, God. You healed me before, you can do it again. Okay, God, you healed so-and-so, and and you're no respecter of persons. You can heal me, or you can heal my relative. God, I'm facing a really difficult financial situation. 
But I remember when you provided for me before. I know you're going to come through again. Number seven is worship. Worship. Ben even mentioned it again in our worship close time, how God would send out not the greatest warriors, but the worshipers first. He would send out the worshipers ahead of the army at times to, to go and praise the Lord on the way. One of the most known stories of this is in 2 Chronicles, okay? 2 Chronicles chapter 20. There's a lot here. I thought I would have more time than I do. Praise God. It's how it usually goes. But I want to highlight some parts of this passage here. This is the story of King Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah. And many of us felt Jehoshaphat after Thanksgiving. Praise God. I hit the gym hard two straight days after Thanksgiving. I'm like, come out in Jesus' name. Self-discipline return, oh Lord, please. Amen. You too can find freedom. Snap Fitness is open 24-7, baby. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 20. The nation hears news of a great army of multiple nations coming against them. And they're worried. They're freaked out. And the king calls the nation to fast. And he tells them to seek the Lord. And they seek the Lord together, which is powerful, which... I would encourage all of us in our weapons of thankfulness, our weapons of worship, our weapons in praying in the Holy Spirit, that we walk in our role as prayer warriors to seek the Lord, to pray on behalf of our land, to pray on behalf of our region, to contend for God's kingdom to come, to contend for revival, to ask the Lord for for safety, for health, for provision, for blessings for our land. If we, if, we, if we, as the people of God, will seek God, maybe the land will be healed. Okay? Second Chronicles, chapter 20, Jehoshaphat has this moment, asks them to seek the Lord. And then this is part of his prayer that he prays unto the Lord in verse 12. He says, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, may this always be our prayer. Because the moment we think we know what to do, and it hasn't come from the Lord, we're probably going to get in trouble. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus and then act out what he tells us to, go from his leading, amazing things will take place. So it says all the people of Judah are there before the Lord. It says the Spirit of the Lord came on this man named Jehaziel, praise God, his son of Zechariah, lists off all his family, And he says to them, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Just want to encourage you with that as well. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Do not be afraid or discouraged because a new variant of COVID just was discovered. Do not be afraid or discouraged because you watch the news and it Cause you to be depressed. Do not be afraid or discouraged because you spent too much time on social media. Do not be afraid or discouraged because you surrounded yourself with people who complain all the time. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged because you got caught up in YouTube conspiracy videos. For the battle is not yours, but God's. It says then, tomorrow march down against them. They will be coming up by the pass of Ziz. I love these names. They're just so great. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. I need to learn Hebrew. Praise God. Jarul. There you go. I think that's an E, though. I mean, all right. Anyway. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korites, praise God, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. A shout is what that means. Verse 21, Jehoshaphat anointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord. They're giving thanks before the battle has been won. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and who, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. I couldn't, I mean, there are so many battles when we are done with our lives that we will get to see that we won simply by choosing to worship God. If you will not try to figure it out on your own, on your own intellect and your own strength, but be willing to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And you worship the Lord. All of a sudden, that battle changes from being your battle to being his battle. And he fights on your behalf. That doesn't mean that you stay in the prayer closet, even though that's a good place to be. They still went out. They still, the army still went out with the worshipers ahead of them. Okay? So there might be something the Lord tells you to do in that time of worship that he says for you to do after that moment. But you chose to attack and wage war through worship. And you chose to put your attention on Jesus and his love, his goodness, his victory, instead of all your problems. And all of a sudden, everything can change in one moment. It says for that, about that, in that story, after they defeated the enemy, that there was more plunder than they could take away. That they continued to collect the plunder for three straight days because of the amazing victory that came through worship. We are commissioned to go and plunder hell. There is enough spoils to be had that will take many, many, many days. And think of what will take place through an army of worshipers who put their eyes on Jesus. Psalms 89. This isn't on your screen. This one's for free. Psalms 89, verse 15, says, Blessed are those who have learned 
to acclaim you. Or in the original language, it would say, blessed are those who have learned to joyfully worship you. The word acclaim has this idea of a trumpet blast, the shout of joy. Blessed are those who have learned to joyfully worship you, who walk in the light of your presence. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. This is a worshiper. They are happy. They are blessed. They walk in the light of the presence of God. And they're worshiping all day long, which leads into my last point, which is number eight, abiding. Abiding. I said this two weeks ago, but the best offense, or excuse me, the best defense is often a good offense. That the, the best solution to walking in this battle that we are in called life and using the weapons of our warfare is to have the posture of your focus and your heart on Jesus. And you can find in John 15 where Jesus talks about abiding, that there is no fruit found outside of abiding in him. That word abiding means to, in a sense, remain or stay. This, this place of staying in awareness and connection with Jesus constantly. And as we walk in our lives in this posture of our attention, our focus, our direction on him, there is great life, there is great fruit, there is great things that will come in our lives. I want to just read some other scriptures before you, for you besides John 15. Psalm 16, 8, one of my favorites of all time, says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, or in a sense, I abide in the Lord, and with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Often we will focus on how to not quench the Holy Spirit. Okay, I don't, I don't want to do that. That sounds bad. I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. Okay, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do... Well, if you look for the three verses before it, maybe there's a way to know how not to. You rejoice always. Worship. You pray continually, abiding. That doesn't mean that you literally pray all day but you are aware of the presence of God. You are focused on the Lord throughout your day. You get away and alone with him at different pockets of time that you have, in your car, on your lunch break, in the, in the bathroom, praise God, in your home. Okay, I, I just need a few moments from the chaos of my family and I'm just gonna be with the Lord right now. Maybe that will help you not throw, lose your temper. Praise God. And give thanks in all circumstances, not the good ones, in all circumstances. In doing so, we actually live in the will of God. We all wanna live in the will of God. We all wanna know the will of God. We all wanna walk out his will. Right here, this verse. Worship, abide, give thanks. That will allow us to not quench the Holy Spirit. Psalms 25 says, the Lord confides. He shares his secrets with those who fear him. The fear of the Lord 
is my, my best description of the fear of the Lord is an awareness of God. When you are aware of him, you will revere him, you will honor him, and you won't do something stupid because you know, you know he's there. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. How do I not get tripped up? How do I not fall into the devil's traps and snares? By the way, offense, back to forgiveness, the, the original language speaks of offense as a snare. How do you stay out of offense? How do you stay out of unforgiveness? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Abide in him and he will keep your feet out of those snares. It's like you're focused on him and you're not looking at where you're going. You're on him and he's like, take two steps to the right, okay, to the left. And all of a sudden you're avoiding all these traps, snares. Psalms 34, verses 4 through 9. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Those who walk in awareness, those who abide in the Lord, they lack nothing. The Lord encamps around them. He protects them. He delivers them out of all their fears. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Mary of Bethany. In two different moments, she chose to worship the Lord. She chose to abide. And Jesus defended her. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha, her sister, comes and accuses her before Jesus. Jesus, my sister is doing nothing and I'm doing all the work. Tell her to help me. And Jesus defends Mary and gives her the highest compliment saying, She has chosen what is needed, what is better, what is necessary. And Martha, you have not. He defended her. In John 12 and Mark 14, Mary comes in with this alabaster jar and pours it on Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair and anoints him for his burial to come this powerful moment of worship before the Lord. And the disciples, Judas and others, rebuke her. They say that she's wasted something on Jesus. They rebuke her and and they ridicule her, it says in Scripture. And Jesus again defends her. He says, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing for me. And then he ties what she has done to the gospel forever, saying where this gospel of the kingdom is preached, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What Jesus is saying is, when you receive me through the preaching of the gospel, I want your life to look like Mary. 
I want you to worship me like she did. He defended her. When we're in our battles, when we're going through life, when we, when we are in this, this battle and we have our weapons of our warfare, I'm encouraging you, church, keep your eyes on Jesus. Give thanks. Worship him. Abide in him. Keep your heart clean from unforgiveness. And all of a sudden, you won't even have to fight. Your Jesus will defend you. Your warrior Jesus, the mighty warrior, your defender, your husband, will rise up and fight for you. He will silence the accuser. He will silence the liar, the devil. He will set you free. He will defend you against rejection and ridicule from people around you. He'll stop the slander and the gossip. He'll bring healing and everything that you'll ever want or need will be found in that moment and with him because just as Mary, you are satisfied with him. Will you stand with me? I'm sure many of you have heard me speak on some of these things before, but... We can never hear it enough, in my opinion. We must never lose simplicity. We must never take for granted our Lord. Maybe you're here today. There's no coincidences, there's no accidents, there's no by chances. God brought you here if you're here today. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him. You're not walking in that place of knowing him. Maybe you've been in church a long time. Maybe you know the Bible. Maybe you know many of the verses I read today. But you can know the Bible and not know the person of truth. You may know the scriptures and not know the living word. The Pharisees knew the scriptures and didn't know Jesus. So if you're here today, whether this is the first time you've been in church in a long time, you're visiting family for the holiday and you came to church with them, or you, you've been in church a long time, but you really don't know Jesus and you want to begin a journey of relationship with him, I want to give you that opportunity. So if that's you, we would just love to pray with you and be, help you begin that journey with him. So if that's you, raise your hand so that I can see that you want to begin a a journey of relationship with Jesus. Come on, I see that hand. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Only he will satisfy the longing of your heart. Only he will satisfy the ache of your soul. Only he brings forgiveness from guilt and shame and condemnation. He's real. He's alive. He's not a teacher or he's not a teaching. He's not a belief or a doctrine. He's a real person to know and to love. Anybody else? Anybody else? Sir, I, I don't want to embarrass you. We just want to pray with you. Would you mind coming up to the front here? We just want to pray with you. Come on, church. Let's celebrate. Come on. If you just want to come over to here, my, my friend, Pastor Jeffrey, is just going to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. What, I, what we're going to do here, we're not, we're not dictated and controlled by time. Praise God. So we're going to go into a moment of worship. But what I want to do is this. If you're here and, and you recognize through the preaching of the word today that there are lies that you have believed that are in your mind. There are strongholds of thinking. It could be religious thinking. It could be lies of, that the enemy has tormented you with for years. Lies of shame from your past. Lies to limit you, to make you think that you'll never walk in your purpose or your destiny in God. Lies about your health. That just lies like your your dad or your mom had this condition. You're going to have this condition. No, you you receive a new DNA in Jesus. You have a new bloodline now. That that is dead and gone. You don't have to receive that any longer. There, there might be those some of you here that are battling anxiety and depression and discouragement. You, there may be ones here that are, are tormented with worry and fear. Some of you have night terrors and, and nightmares that haunt you at night and you aren't getting sleep. If any of those are you, I want you to come to the front. We would just like to pray with you. Our ministry team is going to come up here and pray with you. If you, In fact, ministry team, why don't you come up here first? Ministry team, come on up here. And if you need prayer for God to come and bring freedom in your mind, from any of these strongholds, from any of these things that I mentioned, you, you're battling anxiety, depression, you, you have lies that you've believed about your life or your health, God wants to come and bring freedom. He wants to come and, and move in your, in your life right now. I know there's more of you. I know there's more of you. There's some of you here who, who want to receive the gift of praying in tongues and, and you've been battling lies in that area, come to the front and receive prayer. Come on, don't be, don't be shy. Come on up to the front. You want to receive your gift of praying in the Holy Spirit? Come to the front. Thank you, Jesus. As we worship, if you that's you, don't, don't, don't let the moment pass you by. Come to the front. It's okay. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Let's put our attention on the Lord. Let's put our focus on Him. Let's begin to give Him thanks for who He is. Let's remember what he's done. Let's, let's remember how he saved us, how he's forgiven us, how he's saved, how he's delivered us, how he's healed us, for, healed us, how he's provided for us. Jesus, we give you thanks, oh God. We give you praise, oh Lord. There's no one like you, Jesus. We worship you in this place. Come on, church. Lift your voices. Lift your hands. Let's worship the King. Let's put our eyes on Jesus. He's the only one worthy. We are singing. Hey. 
Let's worship the Lord. Come on, give Him all your love. Give Him all your attention. He's worthy. He's so good. Come on, if you're facing a battle, worship the Lord. Let Him fight those battles for you right now. Give it to Him. Trust Him. <laughs> 